Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums, from the writers to the producers and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like where did your band name come from and who's your favorite Friends character. We're asking questions like why did your marriage fail? Where does love come from? Is God real? It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passions. And we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable. So check it out right here on Rock Candy and your favorite podcast app. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. Before we get started, I have just two really quick announcements. First, my colleague Matt Langston of Eleventy Seven Fame and I are starting a podcast network called Rock Candy Recordings. Rock Candy Recordings already exists as a recording label. So it's all music right now, but we are adding podcasts into the mix and we are creating a network of artists to promote and support one another. And if this interests you, if you have a podcast or you are thinking of starting one and you're interested in joining this network, if you like the work that Matt and I are doing and you want to be part of it, then please send me a message. You can email me at stephenbradfordlong.com. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen B. Long, on Instagram at Stephen Bradford Long. And I cannot wait to hear what ideas you have for a podcast. Second, this show is only possible because of my patrons. They keep me caffeinated. They keep me sane. And uh, in return for a dollar a month or five dollars a month, they get an exclusive patrons-only podcast in which my assistant, Justin, and I talk about very not safe for work things. It is an unedited podcast, unlike this one. So I say all the things that I should really edit out, but don't. And so that's what you're paying the big bucks for. By uh, supporting me on Patreon, you ensure that this podcast continues to have a long life and that I can continue to bring you interesting conversations every single week. All right. Well, I am very excited to welcome Corey Pig to the show. Corey is the host of the excellent podcast, Failed Missionary. Corey, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Basically, our relationship over the past six months has been me harassing you about once a month to, to come onto the show. And, and so I'm really, <laughs> so I'm really grateful to you for, for taking the time out of your day to, to do this. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. I, sorry, we haven't got to connect sooner. Yeah, no worries. It's fine. Pod, podcasting is kind of a, a chaotic life and hard to schedule. So yes. So you do the excellent podcast, Failed Missionary, and I don't know if you have a new season up or yet, but I listened to it last year and it was just really, really excellent where you kind of go into the complicated life of being a former missionary. And mm -hmm. so I'm a I'm a former missionary as well. I'm I'm a former YWAMer. And if I understand correctly, you were also with with Youth with a Mission. Is that right? Yes, I was with YWAM in Germany. 
Okay. And uh, you know, started in Herrenhut and then branched out to a radical branch in Nuremberg. Okay, so I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> could could you just <laughs> so? But before we get into all of that, could you just tell us some more about who you are and and kind of what you're passionate about and what you do? Well, I don't know what kind of work I do. I just kind of fell into podcasting. Uh, so I work on a number of shows uh, that I have clients for. But you know, I started Failed Missionary because I realized that. Outside of Jamie Wright, a friend of mine, there wasn't really anybody talking about missions and the reality of it. And I actually came out of the extreme end of it. Like I, I had significant cult trauma uh, from the base that I was with. And so after working with a number of shows, I kind of looked around and I was like, well, I, I have the know-how how to do this. And I have really good connections. Like I'm going to start pulling the curtain back audibly, you know? Yeah. And then so um, it, that it kind of just was a slow effect from there and I'm actually still figuring it out I think like I've noticed we're about to come back and with the, the rest of season one I had to take a couple of months off to reassess if I actually wanted to do the show I haven't actually talked about that yet but in starting the show I realized like I I don't even know if I want to be talking about Christian things anymore um well, I and, totally get that yeah and mostly <laughs> I in completely the understand yeah yeah and mostly in the sense of like I, I think the problem that I I started Failed Missionary trying to be ecumenical and to try to start a conversation. And I realized very quickly that there are certain streams of Christianity that do not want an ecumenical conversation. They don't want to have an honest conversation and they don't want the negative or, well, the labeled to be negative uh, or honest voices sitting at the table. So I actually had to cut out. Uh, a couple of guests from the first season, uh, sorry, first series that, and I, we already had like so many things in the can really, but I, it made me reassess in real time. Like, what am I doing? And also like the crowd, I, I didn't even know who my, my, like I've never been trained how to speak to 30,000 people and the audience kind of blew up out of my control. And so there was also the aspect of, I don't even know my audience. Like, I don't know if the audience is like wanting this to be like a missions reformation, podcast or so anyway over time i've kind of just put two and two together that i think my audience is probably half missionaries listening in their closets and the other half are ex-missionaries that have the experience that i have and then there's a small margin in between that want to play it safe and are like you guys could talk about this a little nicer and so anyway i guess to bring that about around like Today, I, I, we're coming back and finishing the first season, and there will be a second season, but kind of, I've I've kind of moved away from, like, I'm not interested in talking to or with Western Christian ideas, and I'm also not interested in reforming missions. I'm just interested in telling the truth about people's stories and yes. then letting that speak for itself and start conversations that, like... I. Side note, I got asked to speak at a missions conference twice last year and as recent as a few weeks ago. And I, oh my goodness, I know. And I declined all of it because I'm like, that's complicated. It's not my world. Like I don't want to be in that world, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, so I really, really appreciate that answer. And here's why I think that articulates really well kind of the broad themes of ambivalence (laughs) that a lot of us experience in regards to our Christian communities. You know, I I feel like that experience that you're having with your podcast with Veiled Missionary is kind of the experience of a lot of us just writ large. You know, I I feel like we're all grappling with where do we fit within 
a tradition that we feel like has rejected us or doesn't want to communicate with us or that we can't morally accept or abide anymore. You know, it, it's it's very complicated. And, and so that's why I appreciate that answer is I relate so much <laughs> to, and I think a lot of the listeners will too, because I think the theme for this show is people being unsure of where they fit within their, their traditions. Um, and it's not even like, uh, for me, it's not even a matter of like being sure. Of, well, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure where I fit in, in the tradition. I call myself a mystic, but I also tend to think yes. like, the reason why I don't want my show or even my voice to become something that is quote unquote reforming missions or making it better is largely in part that I, I don't think Western Christianity even knows what it's talking about or I don't yes. think it even knows what it believes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you could you talk some more about that? What what do you mean when you say that? Well, you see a lot of Western Christianity and especially in America, a lot of the ideas we have are a couple hundred years old at best. And a lot of it yes. is like theology that is totally negligence of any kind of intelligence or any kind of scholarship, uh, especially regarding like the ancient church and history before that, and even like all branches of science and the access to technology that we have today to understand where we came from and where we're going. And so when you really look at it from that angle, it's like, I never want to be a part of reforming any of your theology because you have a gross negligence over everything that really matters to overall human development and so yeah anyway i i agree with that i i totally agree with that do you still call yourself a christian or or consider yourself a christian well what does christian mean uh no, that, that would really depend on who you ask I think. exactly that was a trick question yeah. uh well you know i um for all practical purposes i never will call myself a christian again probably and here's why sure. it's because it has no meaning it's almost like the same as missionary. It has no meaning. Uh, there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, it means that you're a follower of Jesus. But you know as well as I do, that doesn't mean that. Like, the, it's so vague. Um, yes. So yes. I I would say that I'm, I, I always tell people that I am a mystic. I have a huge affinity for Jesus that will not go away. Um, and, you know, even if it's all in my head, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Um, here's... Uh, Man, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, you know, I'm studying under Richard Rohr right now in his living school with a couple of other mystics in the West. And I am very inspired and inspired is the right word. I'm very inspired by Christian mystics. Like the, and I, when I say Christian mystics, like both present tense and also like very early church. Mm, yeah. Um, And so I when I read like the teachings of Jesus, I see like when I see, well, when I see the teachings of Jesus, I tend to look at them in a mystical lens. So I isolate them from, now this is going to sound weird, but I isolate them from scripture itself. I also isolate it from like our modern ideas and concepts. And in a lot of ways, like looking deeply into it, I see that Jesus was actually a kick-ass mindfulness teacher, just like Buddha. Um, yes. And so, and also like with Richard and his like teachings, and also it's, it's, it's a, it's not even a Richard Rohr teaching. It's a ancient Christian teaching of like the Christ spirit being eternal. It's like in the gospel of John, I believe gospel of John opens with that, but he, you know, the mm. Jesus or Christ was Je not Jesus's last name. And uh, that's another misstep that a lot of Western fast food Christianity creates. <laughs> yes. And so uh, I'm very, so if like, if we ever got to the point where the Christ spirit that houses all like Buddha, Buddhist Hindus, 
uh, you know, Muslims, everything since the beginning of time. Sure. Like if that is what being a Christian is like, you know, I can get on board with that. But I, I don't know. I don't really like labels. I don't really find them helpful. I I'm pretty much right there with all of that. You know, I consider myself a really I, I consider myself a very committed mystic. I also consider myself very much a skeptic. And I, I consider myself, you know, I, I call myself a Christian in the broadest sense. You know, I kind of prefer the term post-Christian because people will will get all snarly at me and be like, well, you don't affirm the, the central creed. And I'm like, well, no, I don't. So if that's well, your those def- are also those are also man-made as well. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you know, I'm really I don't care if people call me Christian or post-Christian. For me, it really just comes down to I have been so indoctrinated with the language of Christianity that I don't think I can stop being Christian even if I wanted to. And mm-hmm. and right, same. You know, it's it's my central language. It's and and I just and I personally have just kind of accepted that. But you know, but at the same time, I think that people need to choose their own language. And so, when people need to not use the term Christian because using the term Christian makes them less able to love and live freely, et cetera, et cetera, then they need to get rid of it. Is my opinion. Interesting, you say that. I like when I was leaving Christianity originally, or I thought I was leaving. I I was already impacted by Buddhist teachings because actually it was a Buddhist parable that killed my theological framework in an instant yes. while I was on the mission field. Mm. And um, so when I when I was leaving Christianity behind, or I thought I was, I started going to Buddhist meditation and reading a lot of Buddhist uh, teachings and particularly Thich Nhat Hanh and the Zen Buddhist. Thich Nhat Hanh is very big on going back to your roots. Like, don't come to Buddhism as a way of escape, like take this and go back and be whatever you are, a better whatever you are. Uh, the Dalai Lama is quoted as saying something similar, and so is Ramdas and his Hindu yes. teachings. So that actually aggravated me so much that I knew it was real, and I also knew that I would be a fraud if I tried to switch to another lens or another root system when it was never mine to begin with. So I agree with you on the Christian front of things. Like I have come to accept that I can't leave it. Well, I don't really want to leave it if I'm honest with myself, but I also know that it is my roots. It is where I came from. It is the vantage point to a larger conversation that I've been given. And so I can't just easily jump ship and become a Buddhist or something else and to try to have a more fruitful conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, and this is something very much of a tangent, but but I'll go for it anyway. So the satanic temple Satanism is very much on the rise in America. And I don't mean like and I don't mean like spooky, satanic panic. Satanists are, are killing your children kind of Satanism. I mean, legitimate, you, you know, religious movement of people who call themselves Satanists, who revere the symbol of Satan as kind of a symbol of, of enlightenment and skepticism and individuality. And I think part of the reason this is the case is because we are a Christian culture. And so I think it is easier for for disenfranchised and 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 
you know, people who have seen the deep damage that the church can do and now rejects, you know, theistic claims or God claims or whatever. I think it's easier for us to reach for symbolism that has already been given to us by Christianity and make something new with it. Hmm. And and I think the Satanic Temple is very is a very good example of that. You know, we're in something that a lot of people are calling it like a Satanic Reformation right now. It's a booming religion right now. And and what interests me about that is, you know, it isn't to Hinduism that people that these people are going to. It's towards this cr- very Christian symbol of Satan and then turning it on its head. And so I'm not telling everyone that they should go off and become Satanists, but I but I do think that there's a certain form of of wisdom in that that we don't have to reject Christianity and its language as a whole, but rather we've been given this whole system of language that we can then kind of reuse. And that doesn't necessarily mean in the satanic direction, but it does mean that we can kind of like like what you're like what you were just saying, you know, kind of seeing that Jesus was actually a badass mindfulness teacher, just kind of kind of like Buddha and and you mm-hmm. can take that and recreate something out of that is what I'm hearing. I, I yeah. might be taking that in the wrong direction though um no i just think like when i think uh, like to touch on the jesus and buddha thing i think like i'm not it's really hard to explain because i'm also still exploring this for myself but i yeah buddha um had limitations on his teaching in some ways because and i although and i still find that captivating i'm not putting it down by any means but buddha was very non-theistic that wasn't a question he was interested in and for me, the Buddha's teachings were very grounding and neutralized a lot of toxic theology where I think I like Jesus a little bit more as he went a little bit further and tapped into the cosmos uh, in a yes. way that in a way that Buddha tri- like and Buddha did the same. But I think Jesus is like the other side of that coin, I think, for me. Sure. Does it make sense? I- it, it absolutely does. And, you know, what's really interesting for me is that, you know, I'm in a place of being very non-theist and, you know, I've, I've been writing lots of articles about that and, and it, that's just where I am. And so because of that, I think the, the Buddha is, is appealing to me more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, but that is something that I miss, honestly, in Christianity is Christianity has a sense of cosmic proportions to it you know the and christ's teachings have a have a level of cosmic proportions to it that i don't necessarily get within the other traditions that i cozy up to and and you know i'm kind of an ecu i I pride myself in being an ecumenical slut i kind of um you know I I really am. You know, I have no I'm a I'm a meditation teacher. I uh I teach three classes a week. I'm I'm a member of all kinds of different religious organizations and and I have no problem with that. But I will say that one thing that I miss and it's maybe the downfall of Christianity and its great appeal is that it does have like this this great cosmic vision of the universe. Yeah. Um so if if done yes. right. If done correctly. If yeah, exactly. So you're when you were in missions, I, I know that this is probably a, a huge question. And in fact, you've done an entire show about this. And, and so we won't be able to cover everything here. So listeners who are interested, please go listen to Failed Missionary. It is excellent. But what led you onto the mission field? And then 
what was the disillusionment process that led you out of it? And I know that that's huge. I know that we could, you know, spend the next, you know, two weeks talking about each one of those things. Uh, mm -hmm. But but we'll give it a try. Sure. Well, I'm writing a book about it now, so it'll be. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, not out soon, but it, I'm working on it. Fantastic. Um, well, I'll give you like an elevator pitch of both sides to the story. Getting into it, I grew up secular. I didn't have a f Christian framework growing up. The only framework that I had for Christianity was my dad belonged to a Lutheran church and wanted me to do the catechism because it was just a family tradition. And I honestly thought it was so boring I dropped out. And so I, I stopped going to church. <laughs> I also grew up in rural Missouri and I, you know, I, at the time I didn't have the language for it, but I was at qualms with my sexuality because yes. I grew up in rural Missouri and, you know, like small mindedness, but also like, and, and just, and just for clarity's sake, what is your gender and or sexual oh, identity? I'm cisgendered male, but I think today I, I just identify as gay or queer. Like okay. I just. I don't really, again, I don't like the labels there either, but I don't want to shy away from it either because yeah. I think vis visibility is important. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, that took, I, I just now came around to accepting all of that like a couple of months ago in its fullness. Uh, this has been a several-year process of unraveling it. But growing up in Missouri, I, I, had a really, I have a really great family. Still to this day, I have a really great family. But it's weird when you are born and brought into a society or a culture that you feel like you have nothing in common with. And so I just kind of went through my childhood and adolescence really lonely and really kind of like uh, detached from my surroundings. And so mm. in high school, I, I never came out. I came out to two of my friends in high school. But like the reason also is, you know, before I found Jesus and the American Christian culture, Matthew Shepard had just been killed for being gay. And so that was kind of the staple in America of like, this is what happens to gay people. And so there was this kind of scare tactic of I don't want to come out because if I come out, then I risk that happening to me. It was no longer really the AIDS epidemic. It was, you know, you're going to get attacked and killed. Anyway, going back to the loneliness aspect, I found this interventionist God at a worship thing, uh, you know, and it was really emotionally charged worship music. I don't know what it was, but I, I, I still to this day think to some degree I had a mystical encounter with the divine whatever that is and i kn i know it's cheesy to say that because of the context and the event but i i do believe to this day that that whatever happened on that night was real because it it is an experience that has never left me yeah. and uh long story short i moved to nashville the weekend i happened to move to nashville there was a woman uh, for uh, a friend of mine now she was giving her talk on this artist missionary thing that she was doing in germany and i thought oh my god i can be an artist and a missionary and so <laughs> i fell into that the trap that's how they get you those y whammers that's how they well, that's, get you they can yeah, be it's like a marketing tactic they, they can be like you can be artsy and unique and a missionary and i totally fell for it oh sure or they do like <laughs> the, the skiing and missions or the barista and missions or you know my whatever. my favorite is the barista missionaries right. i i I loved that little bit on your show where you brought up barista missionaries and and one of your co-hosts was like that's just called having a job. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. It's true, though. Like, YWAM does it everywhere. It's in Norway. Yeah. It's in Australia. It's in Hawaii. It's in all these dream destinations in the world. You never find, like, a barista missionary job in, God, where's somebody, where's somewhere that is not a 
hotspot destination. I don't know, but. And I swear to fucking Jesus, if a barista ever starts evangelizing me, because I am the kind of person that people evangelize, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something about me that screams heathen. Even when I was a Christian, even when I was more of a more of a theistic traditional Christian, I would get evangelized all the time. And and so, if ever I run into a to a barista missionary at a coffee shop I, and they minister to me, I'm I'm going to die. Anyway, well, that's also the other thing. I don't. You never have to worry about that because they don't they don't even evangelize. They just say they are. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so for me, I'm sorry. We're totally derailing from your story right now, but um. You know, when I was in when I was in YWAM, we did okay for people who don't know. YWAM is Youth with a Mission. It is one of the world's largest missions organizations. End bracket. You know, we did what what we called friendship evangelism, which is basically be really nice, friendly people and not ever tell people about Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't. But it looks really good and. It looks really good in your newsletters and it on looks Instagram. really good in print. Exactly. So mm-hmm. so go on with uh, no, do I, I, do continue so your story. I so yeah I, I well I just fell in. I mean hook line and sinker and I went and did my discipleship training school or DTS if you know the acronym. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, you know I had previously had friends within this base, but I also was captivated by it. So they well. I don't want to put it all on them and claim the victim. Like it was 50, 50. I was just, Mm. I was captivated by them. They were pretty um, strong opinion that uh, they could help my calling out. And they uh, wanted me to sign a two to five year commitment of staff. And I did. And even though I didn't really want, no, I didn't know at the time if I would actually follow through on it. I just kind of, I mostly did it because it was a safety net for calling purposes. Like I, I, th- I thought I was called by God to be, to be this radical missionary. And I didn't know if I would ever come back. But what I did was I signed an agreement and for myself and nobody else, I left two of my suitcases there at the base just as collateral as a way of like, well, I have to come back to get those. Right. So it was kind of like leaving the story open ended. Um, and I didn't go back for about two and a half years. And I did some mission stuff here in the States with another organization that I was a part of since they started. And that was like this blow up missionary uh, record, m- musicianary record label. Like, and it was big for a time, but we had bad board of directors. And, um, you know, as nonprofits do, they kind of crumble. And so YWAM came yes. calling and they're like, hey, when are you going to fulfill your staff commitment? It literally was like that. And, um, you know, I wanted to stay in missions. I wanted to stay in ministry. So I did it. Went back. Broke the news to my family over Thanksgiving dinner that I was moving to Germany to be a missionary. Also, I should note that um, my YWAM base, the radical section of it that we that we went to Nuremberg with, they talked up the new base that we were starting heavily. And they promised all of these things that were in place. So I was actually going under the assumption that all of these things were put into place. Like I knew they always use the language of pioneering. So I knew that into some aspect, there were moving parts that weren't yet together. But for the most part, I was Mm -hmm. told before even moving overseas that so much had been put together, so much thought had been put into it. And then I arrived in Germany to the realization that none of that was true. And ended up being almost like it was like glorified homeless for about four months because they got uh, local pastors guilted into taking sections of the team in and putting us up for free while we were trying to find apartments and stuff. But like, oh if you've God. ever seen it, if you've ever seen like the the fire festival, documentaries, yes. <laughs> um, no, I'm I, I'm not like 
I am not trying to be funny or mm -hmm. like whatever, but it was exactly that mentality because the whole setup was like that. Like what they pulled the staff wow. in like that. And then they had the staff kind of like, we had the we had I think one of the biggest schools in YWAM like we had 130 some students maybe 140 that's um, huge and and the school and so they were all like all of these students were lied to that this base existed that this oh school existed and none of it existed and there was a part where in the summer before, right like I'm talking like maybe six weeks out from the school that we none of us staff knew if the school was actually going to happen and the leaders disappeared for days and didn't want us talking to the students like didn't want us like the oh my were, god. Like, yeah, it was totally the same thing. Like the students weren't getting details; they didn't know what was going on. And uh, finally, the the leaders came back, and they. I mean, I'm trying to make a long story short, but they basically found an old abandoned office building that we had to clear the junk out of, and it was moldy. There was no kitchen. There was four toilets to 140 people. No showers. Um, the students we got somehow negotiated with a local pool hall that the students could walk to or bu bus to to take showers with a shower card but none of them did it because it was communal showers and they didn't want people staring at them while they <laughs> showered um oh my anyways so, so they basically uh, conned you i mean they basically conned you and they conned all of these students yes yes and oh my god also, but it gets a lot more complicated because they also got caught like I don't, I don't know the specifics behind this, but I do know that the government caught on to whatever was going on in Hernhut with the visas and whoever was processing that. That that wasn't actually quite a kosher process. And so uh -huh. the government cracked down and said, no way. Like, you guys have to be subjected to the same system that everybody else gets uh, subjected to. So all of our students were quickly becoming illegal by the end of fall because they did not get their visas that were normally being pumped out like fast food. And then, so that made our outreach just hell on earth. And I, yes. so to kind of like, there's so many layers in here, so I'm going to try to hurry up. But long story short, again, I found out right after I moved to Germany from a family friend that my parents divorced and my par my parents did not want me to know because they didn't want me to worrying about it. And I tried going home several times. My leaders would always say like, you cannot go home. If you go home, like that's going to totally derail what God has for you and what God is doing here. And, um, you know, and there was always a scare tactics, scare tactics. Like if you leave, nobody will understand your calling as best as we do. We are the only ones who can shepherd your calling. And uh, if you leave, you will lose your potential. These are all exact quotes. These aren't exaggerations by any means. I, yes, I can confirm that those things are said. So with all of that, being in this impressionable, vulnerable state, also like considerable trauma from not only moving overseas to false realities and your parents divorcing, I was kind of stuck. Like I, and I felt called so I stayed and I kind of assimilated and I offered to lead an outreach team because I sure as hell didn't want to stay in my apartment all winter and I realized that was the worst thing I could have ever done because I, I it was a lot of reasons as, as to why I did it I didn't do it out of, out of a martyr complex I did it because I knew these students didn't trust their school leaders and I knew yeah. that I could be some I thought I could be somebody of substance that could care for them for three months and, and just to clarify, how old were you when all this was going down? Oh, gosh. I was maybe 20, uh, 24, 25. Yeah. So maybe so. So basically not in the situ not. And, and this is not to, you know, denigrate your maturity at that age at all. But just this is something that YWAM does all the time. Is Sure. They, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. Is they, you know, I sure as hell wasn't when I was in YWAM is they put, you know, very young people who do not have adequate experience 
into situations like this and then you feel this responsibility to kind of care for and coach people who are equally lost if not more so and it's just a gigantic clusterfuck exactly and to to quickly round out my story i guess so with getting out of it so there was the visa situation and then i agreed to take this team although i shouldn't have um and i did it because i had been to china before and i just thought it was an easy escape so i had never filled out visa paperwork i asked my leaders for help on that and i said if we use our address the chinese police are going to know where ywam like and so they're like no we've done this several times like it'll be fine go do it blah 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 went there with 25 visas attempted to do it i get a call from the consulate the chinese consulate and they say hey uh we i'm literally like on the bus back to nuremberg from munich and literally verbatim he's like hey we googled wonderland studios which is such a <laughs> It that sounds like today. a porn studio. That that sounds like a a uh, an adult yeah. entertainment studio. <laughs> well, it exists today. You can Google it. Um, okay. Anyway, he Googled it and he said, you know, we know you're a part of YWAM. And he actually bluntly said, like, YWAM is looked at as a terrorist organization in China. Like, they're, you can we cannot grant you visas. And I yeah. literally told him, like, dude, I don't care about evangelizing. I don't care about our mission. Like, we really just need to get out of here for three months and rest somewhere so these students can come back legally to catch their flights to go home. Yes. Uh, and so, like, if we can work out something, like, we're not going to do anything that you don't want us to do. Like, I will make sure of it because I know that I'm the leader and I don't care about this stuff. Yes. And he's like, well, if you can write me a letter of declaration of intent, um, we'll consider it and he did and okay let us through except he told us told me that two, the two miners on my team would not go through and so my leader at that time told me that uh, i told my leader i said these two girls need to go on an african team where there's no minimal visa requirements they can go to an airport in africa and get the visas yes and my leader my leader at that time had just told me that i needed to learn how to fight for people and that we would send these <sighs> girls to hong kong and that in Hong Kong, they could get visas into China and all would be well. And that uh-huh. I didn't I was never a fan of it. Uh, I it's a long story, but like the girls got to Hong Kong and they were stranded for seven days, six days, seven days. They did get visas, but they were the wrong visas. And so it threw the whole team. These two girls, it's not their fault, but their visas uh, threw the whole team off because because of the two girls, we had to uproot the entire team out to South Korea uh in 60 days and then it was just a logistical clusterfuck like the the basis travel agent totally fucked the flights up and caused half of the team to get stranded in korea and half the team to get stranded in beijing and it was just an ongoing nightmare for three months and so honestly like it was in that moment that i encountered that buddhist parable i mentioned earlier it was in short it was kiso gotami and the mustard seeds the parable in short is just a lesson of impermanence and like Mm. and that there is no intervening source (laughs) and when you are and when you are when your back's up against the wall and you're trying to live your life on three continents across the world and you have to come to this realization that there is nothing that's going to reach its arm out and save you um it was kind of like a crash and burn scenario so the truth be told like i got back to germany i did not feel comfortable telling my leaders that i was leaving immediately i packed up everything went home to the states and then wrote an email stating I would never come back. And so it's just, yeah. that was like an exit from there. And then it was like a, you know, I, I crashed and burned and kind of collected myself thereafter. But yeah. Now, and and you wrote that email after you had escaped. 
mm-hmm. because you didn't feel like they would have let you leave. Right. I, that was a lot of it. I mean, because there was a lot yeah. of mind. There was a lot of mind control. I mean, the, the yes. we're the, we're the only ones that can steward your calling. I was never like physically held against my will. I was never physically hurt or harmed. But there was a lot of mental anguish of like we're the only ones that know how to steward your calling. We're the only ones that get you. Everybody else is confused by you. And they tell everybody this. It's not just with me, but they they yes. and and so you and given like where I came from, like I came, my we came back to Germany. My team came back to Germany with like fourteen thousand dollars of debt to the base because of all of these mishaps. And so there's also a huge financial responsibility lingering over you of like, oh my gosh, you saved us after all of this chaos. Like I surely owe you. Like, yeah. However, how can I repay you with my time? You know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. So I played the part i um i left germany very broken and they thought that i was going to go home for two months as a like a sabbatical fundraiser breather type thing and come back and i totally played the part on all of that until i got home and i was like i'm not coming back yeah that that's a nightmare that's you know i my ywam experience was not nearly the logistical nightmare that you just described i mean what you described really is like fire festival proportions of of uh you know logistical nightmare but i i did experience that same only we understand you Mm -hmm. you can only fulfill your purpose here you know i don't know if you were told this or not but i was told this all the time you know lauren cunningham the founder of ywam uh, they would always quote him saying it takes just as much discernment and work to figure out when to leave if you should leave as it does to go into mission. And they would say that almost as an excuse to be like, now, whoa, wait, you need to double guess yourself. You need to really sit down and pray about this and think about it before you walk out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just straight up told me, I don't think you should leave. I don't think you're going to fulfill your calling. Like all this stuff that you just said is what I was told at my base. And, And that is spiritual abuse. I mean, there's no way around that. That is deeply like abusive manipulative gaslighting bullshit oh exactly right yeah so now you mentioned that you were so was that the more kind of extreme cultish environment that you mentioned at the top of the show oh yeah i mean well that was that was my sec i so my experience in the christian faith i actually have been in two cults so that was the second one Okay. The first one was so the first cult that I was in was actually at the very beginning. It was like a a mom and pop type church where I grew up and it was it had no oversight, no elders, no denominational belonging. It was just very charismania. Uh, my my family was scared to like they were like you are in a cult and I would get mad every time they would say it. <laughs> and they would also yes. say this stuff about YWAM and every time they would say it, they didn't know it, but they would reinforce the cult leaders um what they would say about my family they would always like both cults always said your family's of the world they don't know you know they don't get this they are not a part of the faith blah 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 they both use the same language tactics yeah and so every time my family would try to intervene and pull me out or pull me away from it they actually only reinforced what the cult leader was saying and um actually made the chasm between us a lot bigger Hmm. that first cult was you know charismania they had a prophet guy come in the prophet guy was very he took me under his wing as a disciple he told me that he saw all these prophetic giftings in me and that we would be uh that i would be 
I guess, an extension of his ministry. And literally all he was doing looking back was he was just gossiping to me about things that he knew about everybody else in this little community and trying to, he had his own agenda of things that he wanted to achieve with church planting and stuff. It was really weird behavior, really bizarre. But um, yeah, so yeah, I've been in two cults, uh, sadly. And and when I say the word cult, like I want to be careful and, and note, like I don't use those words uh, flippantly, like as insults. I hate when people do that. Yes. Um, because for people that have actually been in a like, actual cult experience i feel like it devalues that yes uh, but yeah my so a lot of my hesitation with organized religion or organized jesus at all is yeah it, i've seen it go south twice in two different uh scenarios mm. so that so you know just kind of what i'm hearing through this conversation when i step back and look at it is that there's really a difference between healthy religion and unhealthy religion and you know you're you were talking earlier about being part of richard Rohr's community for people who don't know richard Rohr, he's this really extraordinary mystic and teacher um and and i would say that that is a healthy manifestation of religion you know i don't know if people want if i don't know if you want to use the word religion to describe what he does but that's a healthy manifestation of whatever this impulse for the divine is and then there there are these two cold experiences you had that are absolutely nightmarish um it so it it seems to me that there's something really rotten within american christianity and I've been thinking about it and writing about it and talking about it for a very long time. And I feel like I see the fruit of it. I, I think the fruit of it is Donald Trump. I think the fruit of it is dominionism and fear and this siege mentality and and just all kinds of nonsense and also the mission world. I think the mission world is a very direct result of whatever it is that is rotten within Christianity in the West. Yeah, it's all and, an ego thing. Yeah, and I'm and I'm wondering, but I've been thinking about it and talking about it for a very long time and I'm not sure if I'm any closer to really understanding what it is. What I because I think it's really quite complicated. And so I'm wondering what insights you might have on that as someone who has oh, also been thinking and talking about this for a very long time. What is it about western Christianity? What what is it about um missions in particular that is so rotten okay well i am not um a specialist or a trained clinician but i would just say that i'm totally fine with i would i'll give my thoughts and then i would i would just hope that someday some some special clinicians explores this but my thoughts are Brene brown talks about how as a culture we are incredibly lonely people and we have practices built in that are making us even more lonely people and we don't deal with our stuff we don't deal with the things deep down and within and so we we do all these other activities to mask that and make it better and we don't we just never address our root symptoms of our of our suffering and we just over project ourselves in all of the wrong ways i think missions and western christianity is that story over and over people are mm. lonely individuals they have like their uh, these belief systems do not help people with their personal development and they put a bad band-aid uh, a, i think a used rotten band-aid on really infectious wounds that are not getting healed and it becomes this egotistical game of outwardly projecting yourself find a sense of meaning and purpose and it's really bizarre behavior but that's my thoughts yeah i i think that's probably true 
Well, I actually think that that's a great note to end on. And I'm sure that there is so much more here that we can talk about, but we are coming up on our hour. So we need to bring this to a close. For people who want to find your work, where can they check it out? Uh, failedmissionary.com is probably the best. I, or my Twitter account. I'm most active on Twitter. I don't like Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, me um, neither. Yeah, Twitter. Where is Corey now or failedmissionary.com? Beautiful. All right, Corey, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me and, and to my listeners. Of course. I really appreciate it. Well, um, we could do it, it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. I would I would absolutely love that. You're a really fascinating person with I with I think a lot of really interesting insights. And I oh gosh. A, and I appreciate your willingness to share your story and, and to <sighs> bring your insights. Um I, oh. I think it's really important. So Thank you. Well let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. Just let me know. I'm I'm part always two. open. Uh, okay. Yes, absolutely. Let's do a part two. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. All right. Well, we'll. I'm I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right. See you. Yep. Peace. That was my interview with Corey Pig, host of the show Failed Missionary. As usual, the music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleventy Seven. You can find their music on iTunes and Spotify or wherever else you listen to music. The artwork is by Justin Dozier Bryant. And as usual, thanks for listening. <laughs>